Good morning, church. It's good to see your faces this morning as we do have the privilege to gather together to sing His praise and to uh, consider His revelation of Himself in God's Word together this morning. And so if you do have a Bible, a copy of God's Word with you, I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 15. If you don't have your own Bible or one with you, there should be one on your chair or nearby. And I would encourage you to grab one of those. Open up to the New Testament in, uh, in the book of Romans. It's probably toward the end of the 800 pages. Uh, I haven't looked more recently where chapter 15 lands, but I'm going to read from chapter 15 from verse 14 through 21. Romans 15, 14 through 21. I myself, Paul says, am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have no reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of Him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Would you bow once more with me and let me ask the Lord to do a work in and through us this morning. Father, thank You for Your Word. As we discussed in our parenting class this morning, you are a God who speaks. And you have also made us in your image to do the very same, to speak the truth about God and the truth of God to our children in our home, but also to those uh, all around us. Some who have heard and seen many different times growing up here in America, and maybe even especially the South, but even to those who have never heard or never seen the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would see uh, the privilege we have uh, in the gospel of salvation for the forgiveness of sin, but that we'd also see the privilege of proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth and seeing others saved and forgiven of their sin. Lord, would we be a church that cherishes the truth of the gospel in our own lives, but also a church that proclaims that gospel to the ends of the earth for the sake of Your name among the nations. Lord, have Your way in us. I pray that every individual would be able to say that. Have your way in me this morning. To be even able to echo the words of Isaiah, here I am, Lord. Send me, if it be your will. God, help us see the truth that you have for us this morning in this passage. I ask and pray for your help in communicating that truth. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we have been set up well this morning as we have had a a moment to pray.
for the persecuted church among the nations. Uh, We'll be speaking about uh, making that gospel known to the nations um, despite persecution. We've been set up well in the songs that we have sung. Graham even tried to preach that sermon in song, making us repeat that line three, four different times that we will not boast in anything, but we will boast in Christ alone. We're going to see that truth resound in our text as well. So we have been set up well. And, and where we're at in this study all the way through the book of Romans, and I don't know about you, I'm on the second to last page. Uh, we, we can see the end of this study and what a sweet study it's been. I heard another preacher who was also preaching Romans and they said, how long have you been preaching it? And he said, I'm in my fourth year. So you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, or maybe, maybe we can redo it sometime. Maybe it will take us uh, four years one day to re-preach through Romans. Um, but yeah, we are towards the end. And at the end of the book of Romans, in our verses this morning, it really begins the conclusion. Kind of the wrapping up of Paul's letter in chapter 14 and in the first part of chapter 15, we saw Paul kind of winding down his letter in urging this church of believers, both Jews and Gentiles, both weak and strong in their conscience and in their faith, to be unified together. Uh, Though they were from different places and had different backgrounds, and even spoke different languages, um, that they were unified in the gospel of Jesus. And that even though some of them were new to the the Christian faith and some were old, and even though some of them had strong consciences and some had weak consciences, uh, they would be able to be unified together uh, in Christ Jesus. That was his encouragement in 14 and 15. And as he kind of began to wind down this letter, he starts in Romans chapter 15 and in verse 14, beginning his conclusion. And we'll see some even practical details of his future plans even to get to this church, for he had never been to Rome before. Next week, we'll even see a list of people he says to give greetings to and uh, to commend different people in the following weeks. And of course, our, uh, what has been our benedic- benediction in uh, chapter 16, 25 through 27, we will spend our last Sunday in Romans together. But this passage is uh, at this point in the letter where Paul has really said much of what he has wanted to say to the church, and he wants to... Uh, and remind them of the gospel, remind them of, of his efforts to proclaim the gospel and encourage them in their efforts to help the gospel be made known to the ends of, of the world. And as I was wrestling with this passage this week, uh, it made me go back to a missionary biography that I had read several years ago, um, uh, one in which that really impacted me uh, a lot uh, about John Patton, and it was written by Paul Schleling. And uh, he, he takes John Patton's own autobiography and other biographies about him and, and writes I, what I think is not only encouragement about a, 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 a missionary biography, but just real practical, uh, uh, helpful Christian life aspects for all of us. I was challenged uh, as a father to my children hearing about John Patton's father's efforts uh, to John Patton himself and his other brothers and sisters. But it was in this biography that I I wrote down several quotes. And I wanted to just kind of give you a a picture of uh, John Patton's work. He was raised in Scotland and uh, since the Lord calling him to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and eventually took the gospel to the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. 
what we would know uh, from reality TV is Vanuatu. Uh, it's those islands there in the South Pacific. And, and he went there before uh, re- really many other people from the outside world, uh, a people who were known for cannibalism, a people who were known for persecution of outsiders who, who came in. Uh, and yet, John Patton was, was willing to go. And in this biography, Paul Schleling, uh, I agree with Paul's, Paul Schleling's words about speaking about courage in missions. And he says that we need more men like Patton to put steel in our spines, love in our hearts, and assurance in our minds that there are times to double the shot and shorten the fuse. Now, this is 4th of July. So, we're not thinking fireworks. We're thinking ammunition and bombs there to double the shot of gunpowder, to shorten the fuse, to give everything for the sake of the gospel to be made known. Our, our life is short, and we need more men and more women to be willing to give their lives to making this gospel known. And regarding John and his call to missions, one encouragement, uh, speaking of having a class on Christian parenting here at the fields, uh, Paul writes about John and says that the source for Patton's stirrings for the unconverted world can be traced to his godly home. And so let me encourage you parents, as much as we as a church will encourage you and encourage your children to give your lives, however the Lord calls you, for the sake of His name among the nations, let it not be only here in this place that they hear that message. Let it be in your home that it might be you uh, as parents that are the ones that are encouraging them as well. Um, for Paul, for John Patton, he was called to missions as an early boy, but Paul writes about John and says missionary service was no boyish dream for him. When a government official guaranteed him a promotion and special training if he would simply sign a seven-year contract, Patton refused. And the agent was irate, saying, Will you refuse an offer that many gentlemen's sons would be proud of? And Patton replied, My life is given to another master, to the Lord Jesus, and I want to prepare as soon as possible for his service in the proclamation of the gospel. Isn't that the type of attitude that we ought to have? Even though he was called to be a missionary as a young child, It wasn't a childish uh, dream as if he exchanged firefighting and Major League Baseball for missionary service to the Lord. It was a calling of the Spirit of God. He continued to prepare himself working in evangelistic societies, missions organizations, pastoring local churches, and in fact was a quite successful pastor uh, in the world's eyes in Scotland. But it was his heart for the lost around the world that drove him to prepare and eventually go to the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. Paul Schleling said of Patton, among his chief motives was the destiny of the lost. Lost souls were the visitors endlessly knocking on Patton's conscience. He spoke often of the, uh, the wail of the perishing heathen in the South Seas. The claims of the cannibals sounded in his ears. Hell motivated him as it has legions of others throughout church history to go to the lost and to proclaim the gospel. Patton himself said, I saw them perishing for lack of of the knowledge of the true God and His Son Jesus, while my Green Street people had the open Bible and all the means of grace within easy reach, 
which if they rejected, they did so willfully at their own peril. It was the destiny of the lost souls going to hell that urged him to give his life for the sake of the gospel among those who had never heard. And though he had great support from his parents and family, there were many members of his own church and even pastor friends that tried to persuade him not to go with all kinds of spiritual-sounding reasons. You're a gifted pastor. You haven't been trained to be a missionary. You've been trained to be a pastor. We'll pay you more. We need you here. One Christian even said, the cannibals! You'll be eaten by the cannibals! To which Patton replied, Mr. Dickinson, you are well advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave. And there you are going to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. And in the great day of my resurrection body, it will arise as far as yours in the light of our risen Redeemer. There is no hesitation or question in his mind. He He said, God gave His best, His Son, to me, and I give back my best, my all, to Him. Even at the end of his life, John Patton, uh, after all of his suffering, said it was worth it. And not only worth it, but he'd do it again in hopes that his kids would do it as well. He said, let me record my removable... my." my removable conviction that it is the noblest service in which any human being can spend or be spent. And that if God gave me back my life to be lived over again, I would, without one quiver of hesitation, lay it down on the altar to Christ. That He might use it as before in similar ministries of love, especially amongst those who have never heard the name of Jesus. I deeply rejoice when I breathe that prayer that it may please the blessed Lord to turn the hearts of all of my children to the mission field and that He may open up their way to make it their pride and joy to live and die in carrying Jesus and the Gospel into the heart of the heathen world. How was Patton able to live like this? in the midst of persecution, as we this morning prayed for the persecuted church, how was he able to persevere? I hope those whom we prayed for would have this mindset. Patton going into that cannibal region of the South Pacific Islands among cannibals who were ready and willing to kill him. He said, I finally realized that I was immortal to my master's work until my master's work with me was done the assurance came to me as if a voice out of heaven had spoken that not a musket would be fired to wound us not a club prevail to strike not a spear leave the hand to be thrown not an arrow leave the bow or a killing stone the fingers without the permission of Christ he, he was assured. Uh, he, he trusted that Christ had called him to this. And Christ wouldn't take him from this until Christ was done with him. But John Patton wasn't the first one to have this attitude to making the Gospel known to the ends of the earth. Uh, the Apostle Paul was one, one of the earliest and greatest examples of making this Gospel known to us. And we have his story recorded Uh, more than most in the New Testament to see this played out before our very eyes. And that's what Romans chapter 15, verse 14, and, and through the end of the chapter is all about. It's all about Paul's heart for the lost. Him seeing the destiny of those who have never heard or never seen who Jesus is and to get to them before they die so that they might have a chance to hear the good news of the Gospel of Jesus' death and His resurrection that they might be saved. 
Paul lived for the sake of Christ's name among the nations. And he describes how he did it. And if you're taking notes this morning, I'd encourage you to note these real characteristics of Paul's life, that they too might be characteristics of our life, that we too might consider, do we have boldness in the reminder of the Gospel? That's the first point that I have for you this morning that we see in Paul's life, boldness in the reminder of the Gospel. Paul said in Romans chapter 15, verse 14, emphatically, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, with, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Paul said, I, I myself am satisfied about you yourselves. Uh, I'm excited to see I'm content, I'm convinced that you are full of goodness, that you are filled with all the knowledge and able to instruct one another. Things that Paul made abundantly clear were not true of the Romans, were not true of any human being um, before coming to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, several of those phrases find uh, earlier roots in the book of Romans. Uh, that He says that he's convinced that they were full of goodness. Well, Romans chapter 3, Paul made it abundantly clear that they were not good and that no one was good. And so now something has happened in their lives that they went from having no good in them to all of a sudden being filled with goodness. What was it? It was Christ. They had repented of their lack of goodness, believed in Christ's goodness uh, and His perfect life, and realized that Christ Jesus died for their lack of goodness to be able to, through faith, give them His goodness so that they could be full of that goodness. And so that's how He describes them here. And He's convinced that they're full of goodness because of their testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. He's convinced that they're filled with knowledge, something that he encouraged them in the book of Romans to, to continue to grow in, to grow in their knowledge and understanding of, of Jesus Christ, of the Gospel, the good news of salvation for sinners, so that they would then be equipped to be able to go and share that knowledge of Jesus and the Gospel with others. He was satisfied. He was convinced of their ability to instruct one another in those things as they would go out into their own communities or as they would spend time with their own children or as they would go from Rome and from their own area to spread the Gospel to the area's around them. Paul was satisfied. He was convinced uh, that they were by faith filled with goodness and kindness, that they were filled with knowledge, that they were so filled with those things that they were now able to instruct and teach one another and to fulfill the great commission to go, to as they make disciples as they're going, as they're baptizing, and as they're teaching or instructing one another to obey everything that Christ had commanded them. And so Paul uh, honors them in verse 14. And then in verse 15, he contrasts that and says, uh, not only am I I'm satisfied, I'm convinced of these things, but on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Paul is not aiming for them to hear this entire letter as a critique, as if there's nothing good happening among them, as if they're not transformed through faith in Jesus Christ. He wants them to be encouraged, so he honors them and encourages them and says, but I've tried to write boldly to you about certain things. Really, as reminders of what you already know to be true. 
And what a pattern for uh, those of us who proclaim the gospel to, to anyone and everyone who would listen, especially to those who have put their faith in Jesus and uh, acknowledge themselves as a member of the body of Christ. And, and so as a pastor, uh, it's my aim uh, not to teach you much new, but to remind you of the old, old truth that we sing so often. Uh, we so desire to hear new things over and over and over, but it, it's our job as pastors and proclaimers of the gospel to to those who have heard and to those who have believed, to remind them of what they know because we are so prone to forget. I searched through the New Testament letters written by the apostles uh, uh, this week and, and searched for words like remember or remind or reminded and things like that. And at least 35 times the uh, apostles, the writers of the New Testament are saying, I'm aiming to remind you of these things. It was my hope to, for you to remember these things. And that's my heart as well. Paul wrote boldly to remind them of the truths that they already knew. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can just flow through the, the book of Romans to see this clear reminder on all of their pages. In Romans 3.23, a reminder that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We could jump into Romans 6.23 to learn of Paul's reminder that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or we could go earlier in the book of Romans then to Romans 5.8 where Paul said, but God shows His love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That though we are sinners, the good news of the Gospel is that Christ died for us. Christian, I know you know it. You may need to remember that this week. Having fallen into sin, falling prey to temptation of your own heart and in the world, to remember that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. We could flip to Romans 10.9. The good news of the Gospel is that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. We need to remember that truth. We, we need to remember it for our own hearts and for our own souls, but we need to remember it so that we can proclaim that good news to those who have yet to confess with their mouths, to be able to share it with those who have yet to believe in their hearts. For those who do confess, for those who do believe, have the hope of Romans chapter 8, verse 1 available to them, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hear that, Christian. For your own hearts, remember that truth as I read Paul's bold reminders this morning, but also remember it so that you can proclaim that to those who need to hear it when you go to work this week or when you have a conversation with your neighbor in the front lawn this, this week or when you spend some time with family members over the holiday saying to them that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that the truth, the bold reminder of Romans 5.1 is also available to those who confess faith in Jesus and believe in their hearts. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. These are the bold reminders that Paul uh, brought forth in his letter to the Romans to help them remember what they already knew to be true. And he did this because, he says in the end of verse 15, because of the grace given to him by God. Paul mentions this grace given to him 
in the opening of the letter of Rome when he says that he was an apostle and that he received special grace from God to not only see the resurrected Lord Jesus, but to be commissioned by the resurrected Lord Jesus to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. God had given Paul the grace that he needed to be an apostle and and to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he says, that's why I'm reminding you. I'm reminding you as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Himself. God gave me grace, He says, in 15 and then into 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. That's what He was as an apostle. There were other apostles who were specifically sent to the Jews. Those who stayed in Rome and proclaimed the Gospel to the Jews in hopes that they would believe that Jesus was the Messiah that they had been waiting for. But Paul specifically was an apostle sent to the Gentiles, those who were not Jews, who were living in the known world around him. And he would make it his life's effort to get the gospel to them. And he was only able to do so by the grace of God given to him as a minister, as a servant uh, of Jesus Christ. And it's here where Paul begins to use several Old Testament priestly-like words. Words like minister, when used in the Old Testament, were spoken of service in the temple. Uh, It says in verse 16 that to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the Gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable and sanctified. You may be able to hear those Old Testament priestly-like words of minister, priestly offering, acceptable and sanctified. And Paul even acknowledges that he's doing a priestly work, but Paul was not a priest. He wasn't even born into the priestly lineage of the Old Testament as a Levite. Paul was born to the tribe of Benjamin. So what is Paul saying here? That he is, by the grace of God, entering into this priestly work. Well, Paul knows that Jesus Christ, too, was not born into the priestly tribe of Israel. He's born into the tribe of Judah. And yet, the Old Testament priests were set apart, distinct from the rest of Israel, uh, to offer sacrifices on Israel's behalf for the cleansing of their sin, to atone for their sin, the shedding of the blood of an animal by faith uh, in God to atone for their sins. That's what the priests were aiming to do. And yet, when Jesus left heaven and came to this earth, born of a virgin, taking on the flesh of mankind, He lived a perfect, sinless life. The first to ever live a life that didn't need those Old Testament sacrifices. And so that, in and of itself, made Him able to offer a sacrifice Himself in that priestly work. He being the great high priest. And he didn't take another animal and offer its blood for the forgiveness of sins. He offered himself on the altar, being the Lamb of God, uh, offering sinless blood from the God-man himself. And so him being the great high priest and the ultimate sacrifice, he willingly laid down his body as a substitute for us that we might have faith in Him. And so as in that moment that Christ Jesus transformed the Old Testament priestly work, uh, He transformed it. He essentially ended it as He, the God-man, gave His own life on the cross. And now He says that all who believe in Him 
are given His righteousness through faith in Jesus. And they, like Paul, are called into this priestly work to not offer our own sacrifices for those who will believe in the future, but we look backwards and we point them to Jesus and the great high priest who offered himself as the ultimate sacrifice. We proclaim that gospel, and so it's us doing that priestly work of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and the great high priest and the ultimate sacrifice that is the priestly work that Paul is talking about here. And he's saying that I'm doing that in the grace of God. I'm living out my priestly work. Uh, but it's not just Paul. Uh, Paul understood that this was something that was predicted even all the way back in the book of Exodus. In the moment where God was giving His people even the Ten Commandments and the law of God of the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, God says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey My voice and keep My commandment, listen, you will be My treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is Mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God was saying, if you'll trust me, if you'll believe me, if you'll follow me in these ways, you'll be an entire kingdom of priests proclaiming to the world who God is and where forgiveness of sins comes from. This is what Paul understood happened in Jesus Christ at the cross and in the resurrection. This is what Peter understands happened at the cross and in the resurrection. As he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. This is how John understood it uh, as he records the revelation of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation in chapter 1 and verse 5. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom, priest to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. If the apostles understood that Jesus took that Old Testament priestly work and transformed it to be in the sharing of the Gospel to those who have yet to hear where they can find forgiveness of sins so that they don't have to spend eternity separated from God in hell, Paul is saying, I entered into that priestly work. I boldly reminded them of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And we too need to continue on in that priestly work, making, uh, preparing an offering to give to God when we stand before Him. You see in verse 16 that Paul said, he says he does all of that so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You see, Paul believed that when he stood before God, he was going to have an offering ready to give to God. And it wasn't an animal. It wasn't a tithe or an offering of money. It wasn't a, a gift that he had made or collected here on this earth. What his offering was to give to God when he stood before God on that day was a host of of souls who through his effort came to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is uh, uh, describing with this imagery a, a picture of standing before God and looking behind him and saying, these are here because you saved me and you gave me the gospel. And you commissioned me to take this gospel to those who had never heard. And I proclaimed this gospel. And these believed in your gospel. And they're here because I was faithfully worshiping you. 
Paul was aiming to have a, an offering to present to the Lord when he stood before him. Later, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, when he's writing to the church at Thessalonica, he says to them, what is our hope or our joy or our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming when He returns? What is going to be the reason I boast? What's going to be that crown of boasting before the Lord? And Paul says, is it not you, Thessalonians? When I stand before God, I'm going to point to you, Thessalonians, as my crown of boasting before the Lord that you have come to faith in Jesus Christ and the Gospel. And I'll boast in Christ in those moments. I'll boast in you. Church, Christian, are the reminders of the Gospel boldly coming off of your lips to those that you do life with? Is encouragement in the gospel faith in Jesus Christ going back to those old, old truths, what you're encouraging people with? Or are you encouraging them with, come on, you can do it. Keep going. Or, or this is what I think. Let us go back to the reminders of the gospel to encourage people. But what else? What else? When you stand before the Lord, like the Apostle Paul uh, knew he would one day, what is going to be your offering to the Lord on that day? Will you have an acceptable, sanctified offering? Not because of you cleaning anybody up, but because you pointed them to Christ and reminded them of Christ often and always. Who are you able to look at right here and right now in this life to be able to say, you're going to be my crown of boasting? Uh, uh, God saved me. He commissioned me to take the gospel. I took the gospel to the world in which the Lord had put me. And I proclaimed the gospel. And these people came to faith in the gospel. Christian, if you don't have anyone to say that they'll be your offering to God when He returns or your hope or your joy or your crown of boasting before the Lord, let it not be because you haven't done your part of proclaiming the gospel and reminding people of the gospel of Jesus. We may not have many behind us, as many behind us as the Apostle Paul did in all of those cities, in all of those places to be able to um, Give us an offering to the Lord. But let it not be because we weren't faithful. We weren't obedient to that call on our lives. Paul was faithful to uh, be bold in reminding people of the Gospel. But he was also faithful to boast in the work of the gospel. And this is what Paul, uh, uh, Graham reminded us in song this morning that we wouldn't boast in anything that we have done, but we would boast in Jesus Christ. We would boast in the work of the gospel itself. Paul highlights this in verse 17 In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Not in my efforts do I have reason to be proud. But in Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud of what God has accomplished in me and through me. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. And that's the right word right there. Through me. Christ is accomplishing these things through the Apostle Paul. And anything that God does around you, it's done through you. It's not done by you. And so we boast in Christ. We boast in the work of the Gospel. It's, 
when you go out to share the gospel, whether it's at break time at work or at lunch with a friend or with a neighbor on the weekend or a family member on a holiday or on a mission trip uh, overseas as we'll go on in a couple weeks. And you clearly, plainly share the gospel with someone and they have a desire to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus. You didn't do that. I didn't do that when that happens around it. Christ did that using this imperfect, weak mouthpiece at, at the moment that he desired to make himself known to that person. And so Paul has the right attitude. Uh, he's boldly reminding people of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but when someone is saved, when someone repents of their sins and believes in Jesus, he knows that it was Christ doing that work through him. And so he boasts all the more, not in himself, but in Christ Jesus. He boasts in them because Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. And not just obedience. Uh, other places in Romans, in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, and in something that's even more familiar to you, Romans chapter 16, and in verse 26, uh, Paul partners that obedience with the idea of obedience of faith. That the greatest act of obedience is faith. Um, obeying Jesus' words to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying those who have come to obedience of faith through me, I boast in Christ. And we too ought to boast in Christ. He mentions how that happened. He says by word and deed uh, that there was no way that those Gentiles would have come to faith in Jesus were it not for words. Words. Christian, we have to share the words of the gospel. We have to share the truth of the gospel with words that Jesus is God, that He became a man, that He lived a perfect, sinless life, and yet died on the cross uh, in our place to atone for our sins, that He was buried in the tomb and yet rose victorious over the penalty for sin, which was death on the third day. And that He ascended to sit at the right hand of God the Father. We have to be able to share that. Not just love, though we need to love. Not just good works with people, though we need to. Uh, the gospel's work in our life needs to show itself in good works. We can't just live out the gospel and never share the truth about the gospel. And so you see Paul here saying the Gentiles came to faith in Jesus through words and deeds. Christian, let it be a challenge to you to share the gospel in both word and deed. Not just word and not just deed, but word and deed. He also mentions that the Gentiles came to faith in Jesus through, or, or um, through Him by Christ, by the power of signs and wonders. Uh, words here that are used, three words here that are used to describe in other places in the New Testament, the work of the apostles, uh, the miracles that were done as people, as the apostles proclaimed the truth of the gospel and God proved that what they were saying was true with the power of signs and wonders. These are the same power of signs and wonders that prove that what Jesus said was true when He was uh, doing ministry here on this earth. And the same came alongside the apostles to show that their message of the good news of faith in Jesus Christ was true. And so God 
chose to do powerful signs and wonders through them to authenticate their message. And we're thankful for it. We're thankful that we now have the words of the apostles' uh, message written down for us in God's Word to be able to read and to preach and to proclaim to others. But not only that, it was the power of the Spirit of God that Paul rested in the work of the Spirit of God to bring the Gentiles to faith in Jesus. Christian, we can intentionally go knock on our neighbor's door. We can intentionally schedule that lunch. We can raise money and get a passport and we can go overseas to, uh, on a mission trip to proclaim the gospel. But if the Spirit of God does not move on the front lawn, at that lunch, on that mission trip, nothing we do will bring those people to faith in Jesus. And so we got to pray. We got to ask, Spirit of God, move. We want to do our part well in word and deed. But that's not enough. Spirit of God, move. This is why the Bible in the New Testament uses language like born again. Uh, that we need to have new life given to us from the Spirit of life. We're not just trying to persuade someone to give up one religion mentally and to mentally take hold of another religion. We're praying that the Spirit of God would convince people that Jesus is the only God that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Him. And that only happens when the Spirit of God opens up deaf ears, opens up blind eyes, and gives new hearts for people to believe. If we want to see people come to faith in Jesus, if we want to... um, See, the gospel at work, we need to prayerfully be dependent upon the Spirit of God to do the work. And when the Spirit does the work, the Spirit and the Son and the Father get all the praise. We take none of it. We boast not in our efforts. We boast in the work of the gospel of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But Paul's last Uh, aspect of ministry that is highlighted here is in 20 and 21 in closing. And here it's the ambition in preaching of the gospel. We saw the boldness of reminding people of the gospel. Um, Here we see the ambition in preaching of the gospel where Paul says, and thus I make it my ambition. I make it my aim. I strive or I labor with everything that I have to do what? Paul says to preach. Preach in the present tense. I, I, I make it my ambition to preach now and forevermore the Gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. He says, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Or we could rearrange that to say, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not already been named. Paul wanted to preach the gospel where people had not yet heard of Jesus. Paul wanted to preach the gospel where people had never heard of the gospel lest he build on someone else's foundation. And he gives even here scriptural foundation. And he goes to the book of Isaiah in chapter 52. And in Isaiah 52 in verse 12 is the beginning of the fourth servant song of Isaiah. Songs that Uh, were written in the book of Isaiah predicting the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Savior. And it's in Isaiah chapter 52, starting in verse 12, where 
the most clear and descriptive picture of the Messiah is found. And just before some of those clear descriptions of this coming Savior who's crucified and resurrected, before we read those words, we find the words of Isaiah 52 and 12, where it's written, Behold, my servant, that is, this coming Savior, who we know as Jesus, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And in verse 14, he says that as many as were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. That verse is describing that there were many who were astonished and yet in another way rejected Jesus as the Messiah because He wasn't what they were looking for. They expected to see a king, but Jesus didn't look like a king. His resemblance was marred. It says, as many as were astonished or as many as rejected you, so that many more shall he sprinkle the nations. Kings or nations shall shut their mouths because of him. Those who spoke against the Messiah and rejected him with their words, at that point their mouths would be shut and they would have nothing to say. Why? In the end of verse 15, he says, For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. As many as were astonished or rejected Jesus, when they heard and when they saw Jesus in person and crucified and eventually resurrected, many came to faith in Jesus and were sprinkled clean when they put their faith in Him. This is the truth. Uh, This is the reason why Paul aimed to not camp out in one spot and proclaim the gospel for the rest of his life. But he made it his aim, his ambition, to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth, to those who had yet to hear. And we'll see his plans in this next passage next week to get to Spain, to travel to Rome eventually and to use that as a launching point to take the gospel to Spain, where he, at the age of probably 60-something, is giving his life to frontier mission work, where he'll probably have to learn another new language and to raise money and to be supported to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. This was his ambition. This was his aim. Is this our ambition, church? Is this your ambition, Christian, to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth? Or at least to even be willing to say, here am I, Lord. Send me. Or here's my money, Lord. Use it. Or, here's my prayer, Lord. Answer it. Or, until He calls you to go to the ends of the earth, say, Lord, use me right here, right now, until you desire to take me to make the gospel known to the ends of the earth. We ought to be, we must be faithful right here, right now, before we ever expect the Lord to call us to go do what we ought to be doing right here, right now, elsewhere. We have to be faithful. The same thing that urged John Patton to go to the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific, the destiny of lost souls, is the same thing that urged Paul to aim to make the gospel known to those who had never heard it. And it ought to be the same thing that urges us to take the gospel to those who have never heard it. 
Consider, church, that 59% of the world is considered unreached. They don't have a church on the corner. They likely don't know or have never met a Christian. And they probably have never even heard the name of Jesus. 4.5 billion people on our world. Uh, the president of the IMB, I've heard in several different venues in the past month, say that 157,690 people will die daily without hearing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let that sink in for a second. 157,000. 690 people. Half of Arlington. Double, almost triple Mansfield. Daily dying without ever hearing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And John Patton was urged to take the gospel to those who didn't have a church on the corner, who didn't have a Bible in their language. And I'm thankful for many from our small local church who have answered the call and said, yes, Lord, here am I. Send me. I've said, God, if you want me to go, I'll go. Where? Where do you want me to go? When do you want me to go? And have prepared themselves to answer that call. And I wonder, is there more? Are there more who have treasured the truth of the gospel and yet your heart breaks for the 157,690 who daily, daily are dying without the hope of Jesus Christ. We can at least start in a small part by continuing to pray for the nations that we pray for on Sunday morning, to pray for our missionaries who have answered that call, to pray for those who or around the world who have yet to hear, to give financially so that our church can not just give more than 20% to missions work around the world, but can give 30% or 40% or on and on and on, or to be willing to go and to schedule a, 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 a mission trip, a short-term mission trip to go and proclaim the gospel to those who have yet to believe, to support the work of those who are going year in and year out, this is what we need to be about. The destiny of those lost souls that urged John Patton and urged the Apostle Paul to go ought to be what urged us to pray, to give, and to go. All of us this morning, laying our lives, laying our finances, laying our calendars, laying our schedules, laying our retirement, laying our jobs on the line to say, Lord, would you have me go? What would you have me do? Where do you want me to go? In hopes of seeing his name lifted high among the nations. Would you join me in praying that kind of a prayer this morning? Myself, as one of your pastors included, saying, here am I, Lord. Send me. Send me to my coworker, my neighbor, my family member, or send me around the world. Here am I. Send me. Let's pray. Father, I ask, as you have done a work uh, even this week in calling some here in this room to serve you among those who have never heard the name Jesus. I pray you would do it again. Spirit of God, as Paul made abundantly clear that we need you to move in our midst, I pray you would move. And there would be some who would lay down their plans at your feet, at the altar of God, to say, Lord, I've 
done all I can to plan out my future and I've left no space for you. Father, what would you have for me? Jesus, where do you want me to make disciples among the nations? Spirit, help me to do this work. God, I I pray that you would continue to stir the hearts of your people here in this place to be about your work and your mission. Not that we'll all go, but that we'll all be about your work wherever you call us. Knowing that some will be committed to work here to support the work of others going there. God, use all of us in your kingdom's work. And I pray that you, as you have done for all of us as the Fields Church, that you would call some to simply trust in you this morning, to repent of their sins and to believe in you and to find the hope of the gospel that is so clearly reminded, uh, that we're so clearly reminded of in the book of Romans, that those who confess with their mouth and believe in the heart will be saved. Lord, would you save some this morning who put their hope and trust in you? Lord, we say together as your church, have your way in us. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.